Good morning and welcome. Welcome to worship. I'm Pastor Jim and it's a joy to be with you today. If, it's, if you're a guest with us today, I'm especially glad you're here. Thanks for being here. We appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. Today as we worship together, I invite you to engage. There's a chat feature on your screen. I invite you to go ahead and talk to your friends that are with us in worship today. Also, if you have a prayer request, we have people ready to pray with you. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series on Abraham. We're calling it Abraham Faith and Fear, as Abraham is a person, a man of real faith, but also experienced real fear. And today, Pastor Spencer is gonna lead us into the book of Genesis, the 18th chapter, where we have this amazing story, this conversation between God and Abraham and Sarah. And this conversation includes truth, a lie, laughing, and then God says, is anything too hard for me? So stay tuned, it's gonna be awesome. We have two new items we're excited to share with you this week. And the first is online and virtual classes. We're offering online and virtual classes. They're available. You can click the link below to see what we're offering in this season of COVID-19. They're short term uh, on Sundays as well as weekdays. I checked it out. I jumped in. It's easy. You can do it. This is a great season to, uh, to grow our faith and relationship with God and others. So jump in to a class or group. Secondly, we're excited to invite you to a postlude at the end of worship. That's some really special music at the end of the day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Let's worship. Lift up your voice, come on and sing to our God, the everlasting King. Lift up your voice. Oh 
wish out of acclamation and take me home where joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great the As we come to this time of prayer together, this time that, that we have this conversation with God and what a gift it is, I invite us today to use our holy imaginations to imagine that Christ has come into the room with us wherever we're at today and is sitting in the chair across the room or on the couch next to you or if you're on the deck, wherever you're at, imagine that Christ is with you that is interested in you and wants to know what's going on in your life. Christ knows this is a hard season, that our lives are disrupted, our rhythms are different and are, can be really hard. So whether it's our, our circumstances, our situation, finances, work, school, whatever it is, the Apostle Paul reminds us to set our anxiety aside and to give to God our petitions in prayer and also thanksgiving. So let's begin today with uh, giving our petitions to God, whatever it is, uh, Christ wants to know what's on our hearts. Now let's pray together. Uh, let's pray with God uh, regarding our thanksgiving. Let's give thanks to God for so many things in our lives as well, as God wants to uh, hear our praises and all the things that we're so grateful for. So let's continue praying together. Holy God and kind, kind Father, 
We are thankful. We're thankful that you're with us through everything, the hardships of life, the good times, God, everything. We thank you for the gift of resurrection to new life, to know that you're always working and making all things new. So God, in this, in this space and time, we confess that we need you. Lord, uh, we need you in every aspect of our lives, in our workplaces, our homes, our schools, uh, whatever is occurring, God, we want you. Come Holy Spirit, be with us, uh, make us fully alive, use us in ways that uh, we can't imagine, but you know will bring glory to you. And now we're blessed to have the Lord's Prayer by some members of our congregation. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs> now as we come to this time of offering, what a privilege it is to give back to God out of all that God gives to us, a God that gives and gives and gives. We really appreciate your tithes and offering, all your gifts that make the ministries happen here at Schweitzer, from kids to youth to the pantry and so much more. We are grateful. You can give out our website at sumc.co slash give or use the Church Center app. Let's continue to worship.
We believe in the power of stories. Each week this year, we've been telling God's stories, stories of people here at Schweitzer, people connected to Schweitzer in, in various ways, telling stories about how God is working and transforming in their lives. And this week, we're going to hear from Gail Randolph. And again, we hope these stories encourage your faith and inspire you as well. Let's watch. I've been a longtime member of Schweitzer and happy to be here, but I wanted to tell you that I grew up in a large family. Not a lot of money, but a lot of music and a lot of energy and enthusiasm. And the main focus of our activities outside of the home was the Lutheran church that we belonged to. Dad was the choir director. We were there for every worship service. I loved worship services. I still love worship services. I told my kids, when I'm old, I mean, I'm kind of already old, but when I'm really old and can't get out on my own, take me to church. They've heard it a number of times, take me to church. Several years ago, I was with a group of friends that I know from Bible Study Fellowship, just kind of in passing. And one of the women said, um, Good News Club. And I remember just like yesterday, I said, what is Good News Club? And at that moment, it was just like the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and said, pay attention to this. And so I did. God helped me put together an amazing team. They didn't know about Good News Club either, but they were willing to come and, and join me in this. Um, and now we've been at the neighborhood school, Pittman Elementary, for 11 years. Every Tuesday after school, we have a unique opportunity in this volunteer group, they've had parent signatures to come to hear how much God loves them. I tell them that God created them uniquely, individually, and then I tell them how much Jesus loves them. When we can boil the truth down to these elementary levels, it gives them hope. And it gives us hope too, and learning how to teach that gets it in your heart and gets it in your head. and it's a wonderful, a wonderful opportunity. And it really reminds me of the Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I feel like that's one of the things that he taught me at that time. My name is Gail Randolph, and this is just the beginning of my story. Welcome today, my name is Spencer and I'm the pastor. Uh, this is part five of a series we're on called Faith and Fear. We're spending several weeks looking at one of the most important people in history and that's Abraham. And what's interesting about Abraham is that he is a hero of faith to some four billion people. That's basically every uh, Christian, uh, Jewish person, a Muslim in, in the world. And yet at the same time, um, Abraham is somebody who struggles deeply with fear. So he's a hero of faith, and yet he struggles deeply with fear. And as we're reading through his story, we see these moments where Abraham is this inspiring person who we want to be like. And then you turn the page, and, and the next story is Abraham is this kind of person you don't want it to be anything like because he makes decisions based on, on fear. And so he's, he's this person who, who, who is a hero of faith and yet struggles deeply with fear, which tells us something about what the nature of faith is like. Uh, faith is, is not just this abstract belief in God or when you believe certain things about God. Uh, faith is the, is the act of, of choosing to trust God when there's all kinds of reasons not to. 
It's the deliberate choice that even though there may be obstacles or barriers, I'm still going to trust God. This is what we see in Abraham's life is this this struggle between trusting God even when it's difficult to trust God. And so this is the story of Abraham. Uh, Today, as we get going in this, I I wanna backtrack just a little bit to catch you up if you've not been with us the last few weeks. We first meet Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He's 75 years old and God speaks a promise to Abraham. And here's the promise. This is Genesis 12, verse two. It says, "Um, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So essentially God makes a promise. There's two parts to this promise. One, that Abraham will be a great nation and two, that Abraham will be a blessing. And it's understood that the way that Abraham is going to bless the world is is through this great nation that will come through him, the people of Israel. And ultimately the way that Abraham will bless the world, of course, is through Jesus uh, as as he changes and saves the world. And so this is the story of Abraham. And the catch here, though, is that with this blessing uh, to be a great nation, you, you also need descendants. And, and Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they're, they're well along in years. They're 75 years old at this point, and, and they don't have any children, any descendants to, to be a great nation. And so they hear this promise of, of becoming a great nation on one hand, and then they have reality on the other. And, and they're left kind of scratching their heads because the math doesn't add up on this one. Uh, people their age don't have children. And it doesn't make much sense that the Lord would, would call them to this, uh, this promise when, when this is the reality of their life. And so um, they're left scratching their heads and, and, and they've got this promise of God and, and time starts to pass. Weeks go by, months go by, years go by, decades go by, and still they have no children, no descendants. And yet all along, God keeps reminding Abraham and his wife, Sarah, of this promise that they will be a great nation, that, that from them will, will be this blessing, and that uh, they will have specifically a son that will, that will uh, become this, this nation. And so they have this promise of God, and yet they keep waiting. And this brings us to today, Genesis chapter 18. As we catch up in the story, Abraham and Sarah are going to have some visitors, and here's how it goes in Genesis chapter 18. It says, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. Now, these three men are not just three random people. This is actually the Lord. This is how the Lord appears to Abraham here is in, in the form of these three people, which is interesting that the Lord appears in a vision of, of three people, which is a whole other sermon there, but, but just an interesting little detail that, that they're here with these three people. And so when Abraham saw them, as we keep reading here, uh, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He's doing a customary greeting of the day. It's not shaking hands, so it's coronavirus safe. Customary greeting of his day. He's going to bow low to the ground. And then as he keeps with them, he's, he's going to follow the custom of his day and show them just incredible hospitality because this is what people did in the ancient Near East. And so verse three, Um, Abraham said, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me give you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way so that you, and and now that you have come uh, to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. 
He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. And so you get this sense that Abraham is uh, waiting on these guests, attending to them and, and providing for them and serving them. Just incredible hospitality that you would have seen in the ancient Near East back then. And then uh, the conversation uh, turns. Verse nine, where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. Well, there in the tent, he said. And then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And, and it doesn't say here, but, but I imagine this is the point where Abraham's jaw drops because he hears him say this, this apparently random person because Abraham's in the dark about who this person really is, these three people really are. So he hears this line and I'm sure this is where his jaw drops because he's like, hold on a second, what, what, say, that, say that one more time. Well, you're gonna come back next year, there's gonna be a son. Like, like how did you know that? How, how did you know that for the last 25 years at this time, this point, God has been continually reminding us that this is the promise that he's going to give us that there's going to be a son. I, like, let's rewind this conversation. How, how, how did you know, how did you know all that? Like, I, I don't know how Abraham responds, but surely this is a jaw drop moment. And while we don't know how Abraham responds, we do know how Sarah responds. So let's keep reading here. And I want to show you how Sarah responds to this, to this, again, this promise that they have um, of, of the son who's coming. And so here's how it goes. It says, now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was, was past the age of childbearing. So we're going to read her response in just one moment. But before we do, I just, I just wonder, if you were Sarah, how would you respond right now? You're in the tent, you're listening to this conversation, you hear this man say this very, uh, this random person say this specific thing that you've been hearing God say for over you for the last 25 years. How would you respond? I, I, don't, I don't know how you respond. I know how I'd respond. I, I'm pretty sure I would, I would say something like, really? Really? Th we're, we're still talking about this? Really? Like, hasn't the ship sailed on this? Are we still talking about this same old promise? It's been 25 years at this point. Oh, when are we just going to let this one die? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how I'd respond. Maybe you'd respond differently than me because faith comes easier for you, but that's, I'm pretty sure that's how I'd respond to this. And so here's Sarah's response, verse 12. So Sarah laughed. That's her response. Sarah laughed. So, so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? And then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Sarah's response here is, is definitely not a response of faith. It's, it's really a, a response of cynicism, of, of thinking, is this really what we're going to still be talking about? Is this really going to happen? Are we still talking about this kind of thing? And if you think about it, it's, it's not too hard to imagine that Sarah's cynicism is really uh, rooted in fear. Because cynicism is usually rooted in fear. I mean, her cynicism here is this fear that if I start to hope again that this promise is going to be true and God is gonna come through for this, am I ready to be disappointed by more waiting? It's, it's a cynicism that's rooted in fear. And so verse 14 comes along, the Lord's still speaking to Abraham. And if you haven't been paying attention so far, I want you to like come back to me, put your phone down, start, start paying attention again, because you need to hear this next verse. If you're reading from your own Bibles, you need to underline this next verse. It's so important. But Genesis 18, verse 14, this is what the Lord says to Abraham. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's read that one more time. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh, but he said, yes, yes, you did, you did laugh. Genesis um, 18, 
is a, I love Genesis 18 because this is a story that, that hones in on a basic question of faith that, that anybody's gonna have to ask if they're gonna be the kind of person who lives by faith instead of by fear. Everyone has to answer this question, just as Abraham and Sarah had to answer this question, you have to answer this question if you're gonna be somebody who lives by faith instead of fear. This question is, is, is blunt, it's sharp. We see it right here in the text. It's Genesis 18, verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? This is a basic question of faith. Is anything too hard for the Lord? A basic question of faith. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Certainly the witness of the Bible is that nothing is too hard for the Lord. We have um, reminders all over the place of how nothing is too hard for the Lord. And so one of my favorite verses is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. In Ephesians 3, verse 20, uh, Paul he writes this incredible line about how nothing's too hard for the Lord. It's, it's a great promise from the scripture. And here's what Paul writes in Ephesians 3, verse 20, the same kind of a for instance of how the Bible says that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Here's Ephesians 3, 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. I love that. He's able to do more than we can imagine. Like I, Ephesians 3 reminds us that nothing's too hard for the Lord because God is not in the business of just meeting minimum expectations. That's not what God does. God doesn't take our expectations. He's like, you know what? I think I can just go like, eh, just a little bit more than that. No, no, no. When it comes to the Lord and what he can do, it's like off the charts what he can do. We, we can't begin to imagine it. He's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. This is the witness of the scripture and certainly, certainly something I believe, that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And yet, and yet I have to stop and, and ask myself some, some questions of self-reflection though, because while I definitely believe that nothing is too hard for the Lord, I, I have to wonder for myself, and I don't wanna speak for you, I'll just speak for me, but I have to wonder for myself, um, if, if nothing is too hard for the Lord, and I definitely affirm that, then, then why is it that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, why is it that sometimes I get stressed out over the smallest things? Like if nothing is too hard for the Lord, why is it that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, um, I find myself praying the most general, bland prayers instead of prayers for, for miracles and healings and the power of God to be, to be at hand? Like if nothing's too hard for the Lord, why is it that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, I, I settle for less than what God wants for me in my life? Like if, if nothing is too hard for the Lord, why is it that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I act as if everything is too hard for the Lord? And again, I don't wanna speak for you, I'm just speaking for me, but, but I wonder if that doesn't sound a little familiar for you as well, that sometimes we might say that, that nothing is too hard for the Lord, but then we live as if everything is too hard for the Lord. And the truth is that nothing is too hard for the Lord until a new crisis emerges. Uh, we moved here in July, and, and uh, so we've been here just for a few months, and before we moved here, I was the senior pastor at First United Methodist Church in Kearney, Missouri, which is a little town in the Northland of Kansas City, and I was there for seven years. And my first Sunday at, uh, at, at that church in Kearney uh, was, um, also the, the first Sunday of a new capital campaign that they were, they were launching because that church had a lot of debt and, and they'd been on capital campaigns for, for years and years and years. So I show up on my very first Sunday, which also happens to be bring your pledge card forward for the capital campaign Sunday, which is a pretty epic way to start really. 
Hey everybody, I'm your new pastor. My name's Spencer, so glad to meet you all. Also, I'm gonna need you to fill out a pledge card today because we need your money and the bank is calling. So we need to pay, we need to pay the mortgage. So that was my very first Sunday. And that church had, had debt and uh, they've been in this, the cycles of debt and, and capital campaigns for several years. And basically every three years you had to do a new capital campaign. And so um, after I'd been there three years, it was time for a new capital campaign because we had debt. And, and it was one of these things where we're asking people to, to provide and to, and to pay for this, this campaign. And it was one of the most difficult things to ask people to give money to because it was just debt. Like all, the whole project was debt. There was no new building. There was no like renovations. There was nothing new that the church was getting. It was just simply help us keep paying the bank because we owe money to them. And so we had this campaign coming and I don't know how you make that an exciting ask that we're just gonna pay off debt, but, but we did our best at that. And we had this campaign planned. We're gonna make this big push because we're gonna try to pay down. Why don't even pay off? Just pay down some of the debt that this church had. And, and, um, and, and so we had this campaign going. It's gonna be about four weeks long, this, this new campaign. And the week that we were gonna launch it, it started to rain. And it rained and rained and rained and rained that week. It just, it just would not stop raining. In fact, it started to flood in, in the town and, and there was a little creek that ran next to our property at the church and, and the creek flooded and it overwhelmed the city's pump station, which was right next to the creek. And so the city's sewer stopped flowing and, and um, I get this phone call, I'm not at the church at the time, I get this phone call uh, that there's water coming up through our floor drains in the church and um, it smells terrible. Well, it turns out that the city sewer had started to come back up to the church and, and basically our floor drains had covered the entire uh, church building with, with, with sewers. All, all the square footage that we had, we had to clear everything we had, had just really quickly and, and all the carpet had to be removed, the drywall had to be removed. It was about a 12-week job and it just had to happen like that. And so like, like, like that, we had to be out of the building. And so basically for 12 weeks, we suspended all the ministries that we had. We went to a high school and did a worship service, which was very, very difficult. And uh, we, we just kind of limped along having church for 12 weeks in this kind of new reality that, that, that we're living in. And, and this was also the time that we were going to launch this new capital campaign because we had to keep paying down the debt. And, and um, our attendance went to about half of what it was. Our giving went, went a lot lower. And, and I'm driving to church on that Sunday. Uh, we're going to start this campaign. And I'm, I'm driving to church to the, to the auditorium, I should say, the high school to start this campaign. And I'm thinking to myself, man, there's no way that we're going to be able to make this. Like, there, there's no way we're going to be able to cover our cost on this. There's no way that uh, we're going to be able to be successful in this campaign. There's no way that this is going to work. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I guess I just better show up and put a smile on my face and pretend that things are better than they are. But in reality, I'm thinking to myself, this is it. Like we're, we're going to default on this loan. We're not going to be able to cover our costs. This isn't going to work. The church is going to cave. And like, I'm just, I'm just in the spiral of thinking about how all these things are going to happen. And so in the midst of, of this, I, I start talking to a, a mentor of mine and, and I'm telling him what I'm thinking. And I'm really discouraged at this point. And when you get really discouraged, you start to take things personally that aren't even really yours to take personally. And so I tell him, my mentor, I'm like, you know, I think, man, if I had been a better leader, maybe I could have rallied the troops better. And, and I just think, man, the, this is, the church isn't gonna be able to cover this. We're gonna close. We're not gonna be able to make it because of the loan. And, and we're not gonna be able to cover our cost in this capital campaign. I go on and on and on and on. And this mentor, he, he, he interrupts me and he says, Spencer, he says, how, how long has that church been in that town? And I said, well, the building's you know, pretty new, but, but the congregation has been here for like 150 years. And so he just starts to laugh at that point. And, and he says, uh, and you think this is what's gonna kill that church? And he didn't say it, but he, but he might as well have. He might, he might as well have said, Spencer, um, is, 
is anything too hard for the Lord? Like, <laughs> is, is sewer water too hard for the Lord? Is a, is a building mortgage too hard for the Lord? Like, you belong to the, to the one who conquered death. You, you think he can't handle this challenge? Like, this, this is what happens to us when, when new crisis emerges. Uh, we, we have this tendency, because there's this temptation that comes when new crisis emerges, to become so focused on the crisis on the setback, on the disappointment, on the discouragement, on the stress, that we become so focused on these things that we lose sight of the bigger picture of what God is able to do. And so uh, nothing is too hard for the Lord until a new crisis emerges because when the new crisis emerges, this is what we become focused on is, is, is all the things that are wrong. And, and whatever it might be, we become focused on it instead of this bigger picture of what the Lord is able to do. This reminds me of, a, of an old, old story. I think I've shared it with you before. Um, it's an old, old story that the rabbis used to tell about, about the greatest miracle in the Bible. The story is made up, and, and, and yet the, the people in the story is made up, but, but the story is based on, on something that happens in the Bible. And the story is about two brothers who lived during the greatest miracle of the Bible, which is the parting of the Red Sea. And these two brothers, along with the people of Israel, were, were crossing through the Red Sea. And the Bible says that when the people of Israel crossed through the Red Sea and were you know, delivered from the Egyptians, that, that they crossed on dry ground. And so the rabbis, they, they said, well, well, maybe it wasn't like totally dry. Maybe the, you know, it's seabed. So maybe it's more like what happens at low tide where it's, it's dry. You can walk on it for sure, but it's also kind of muddy. And so the story goes about these two brothers who are crossing the Red Sea and and with the people of Israel, one brother turns to the other brother and he says, you know, it's, it's a lot muddier than I thought it would be. And the second brother comes back to the first and says, yeah, you, you know, if I would wanted to walk through mud, I, I could have just as easily stayed in Egypt. And the other brother comes back and says, I just really feel like with better leadership, we could have probably found a cleaner way across. Maybe there's a different route we could have taken. Or if we just had a map or someone who went out and looked ahead of time, I bet we could have found a way. If we just had better planning, maybe we could have found a better way around this. And the other brother comes back and says, yeah, and I just bought these sandals and now they're going to be ruined because of all this mud. And, and these two brothers cross the Red Sea with all the people of Israel. And the whole time they keep talking about the mud that they're walking through and they miss the walls of water that are on either side of them. When they get to the other side of the Red Sea and they climb up the bank and they see the people of Israel shouting and praising God and having this incredible celebration, they're left wondering, why is it that everyone's so excited and so happy because they missed what God was doing right in their midst as he was rescuing them? You see, there is a lesson that people who learn to live by faith have to learn. There is, there is a lesson that, that people who live by faith instead of by fear, will have to learn in their life. And, and the lesson is this, that yes, my circumstances might be difficult. Yes, there, there might be things that for good reason I'm stressed out about. And yes, there might be good reasons why I'm discouraged or good reasons why I'm disappointed or, or good reasons why this setback feels like it's overwhelming. But people who learn to live by faith instead of by fear, they also know that my circumstances are not the whole story. People who learn to live by faith instead of by fear, they know that my circumstances are not the whole story, that there is a bigger picture of how God is at work in their life. And so some of you, some of you are facing some very difficult things. And, and far more difficult than just a stay-at-home order and the coronavirus. Some of you are facing real challenging situations right now. And I just want to offer you a word of encouragement 
that, that no matter what the setback or the crisis, the, the discouragement or the disappointment might look like in your life, I wanna offer you a word of encouragement. Don't lose sight. Don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Your circumstances are not the whole story. Don't lose sight of this. You belong to the one who conquered death. Nothing is too hard for him. You belong to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Don't lose sight of that. Your circumstances are not the whole story. Don't lose sight of this. In fact, when you find yourself um, living in, in deep stress, anxiety, worry, fear, discouragement, disappointment, that is a sign that you've lost sight. Return to this and remember this bigger story that God is at work in your life in ways that maybe you can't even see right now, but you belong to the one who conquered death. You belong to the one who's able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. Don't lose sight of this. Be encouraged because there is more at work than maybe you can see. Nothing, friends, is too hard for the Lord not even the new crisis that you might be facing. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Let's pray together. And so Lord, this morning, we wanna remember all that you have done and, 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 lose, and not lose sight of all that you are doing in our midst. And it is so easy in the midst of the crisis to become so focused on, on that which is right before us that we lose sight of the bigger picture. And we wanna to confess today that our circumstances are not the whole story because you are at work in this world, you are at work in our life and nothing is too hard for the Lord. So no matter what it is we might be facing, we can trust you. We can trust you with our relationships. We can trust you with our future. We can trust you with our choices. We can trust you with our loneliness. We can trust you with our health. We can trust you with our finances. We can trust you with our career. We can trust you with absolutely everything because we know that you love us. We know that you're for us. And we know that you are able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And so Lord, would you help stir within us faith today? because we belong to the one of the empty grave. And so for anyone today who's, who may be watching this and, and doesn't know where they stand with you, may today be a time where they, maybe even for the first time or maybe returning uh, from, from being away from you, today is a day to return to this faith, to understand that their circumstances are not the whole story. And that if we just put our faith, our trust in you, we can find new life in you. And so Lord, today, would you um, bring us to yourself Help us to be encouraged and may we know the hope, the hope that nothing is too hard for the Lord. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray, amen. like you do God I look to you 
It's been so good to join together in worship today. I hope this has been an encouraging, hopeful experience for you. And if this has been helpful for you, I encourage you to share this service with others. You can do this by just sending the the link to friends or family. It's a, a great opportunity for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. Friends, have a great week. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.